This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson, and it's lovely having your company here on Property Matters, the show where we talk all things property, and as per normal, there's a lot going on. There's a lot in the news, a lot about the uncertainty of what's happening, and a change has just come through Parliament, where they've just passed a sweeping law to force councils to allow denser housing. So this is something that is creating a bit of certainty in planning for the future. So the headline on Stuff by Henry Cook says sweeping townhouse bill passes into law with support of Labour and National and it will force councils to allow more homes. So this is called the Resource Management Bill although it does have a a subtitle Enabling Housing Supply and Other Matters. It was hammered out between the two parties and so it's unlikely that if the government changes in any way this will be repealed or overturned. So from August of next year, 2022, councils will be forced to allow townhouses of up to three storeys with up to three dwellings on almost all residential sites in Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Tauranga and Hamilton. And these will not require resource consent. (coughs) Building consent will still be required, so the quality of the homes themselves will still meet the standard. This is really to help with the housing crisis and the analysis by PricewaterhouseCooper suggests that it could add up to 105,000 new dwellings in those cities over the next eight years. The bill also moves forward the timeline on the what they call the NPSUD which is another zoning change. It removes the ability for councils to set height limits of less than six storeys in a more restricted set of urban areas. So this bill was announced in October after months of negotiations. The two parties then sought to pass the bill far faster than usual with a select committee process that lasted only six weeks instead of six months, which would be what you might find more usually. Some changes were made to the bill after the select committee process in which many town planners and councils said they needed to retain more control. Now, although this is in the cities that I mentioned, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Tauranga, Hamilton, it's very likely that it will spread further to other cities. I think uh, Dunedin and Palmerston North as examples. So this is something that uh, may um, add to possibilities or possible ways that the cities look in the future. So the councils did not regain much control after their submissions, but over, but the overall standard they're being forced to accept is more restrictive with a lower height limit at the boundary. The size of windows and outdoor space were also boosted. So they were worried about these buildings blocking light, for example, to the, uh, to the neighbours and so forth if they were quite tall. So it means that they're going to have to build them off the boundary a bit. Councils can also use what they're calling in the Act qualifying matters to block development, which will include historic heritage. However, it'll just be a... So there will be a range of options there under particular circumstances where councils can uh, overturn, but it's not a lot. 
So the comments around this are generally that the housing intensification is critical to accelerating the housing supply and it has a range of benefits including smarter use of land and less urban sprawl, more accessible public transport and even more growth across cities and also multi-generational ways of living. I know when I've lived overseas uh, in Sweden, for example, it's uh, quite normal even in a city the size of Palmerston North to have quite a number of buildings that are three to six storeys tall, sometimes up to about ten storeys tall that are for accommodation. And so the those buildings then tend to have a common ground and common areas that, that people use and uh, they seem to work very well indeed. But what this does do, it does allow a lot more people to live in a smaller area and a smaller footprint, so to speak, in terms of the land. So it is a bipartisan approach by both parties. We'll see uh, where this goes and what this may mean. We'll see the effects of this coming in from August of 2022 and in the areas first where uh, we will get to witness how it goes in other areas before it's likely to be expanded out into other cities. Housing Minister Megan Wood said the government had been engaging with the Human Rights Commission on the housing matters and there was a lot of work to do. And there has been significant action underway to address some of these housing issues, she said, which included an overhaul of urban planning rules, the biggest public house building programme in a generation, a $3.8 billion housing infrastructure fund and the new tax policies for investors. So some of these measures are already making a difference on the market and they will make a bigger impact on the housing crisis in the media to long, medium to long term, she said. So underpinning all of the work that the government is doing, she says, is a commitment to ensuring every New Zealander has a warm, dry home, whether they own or rent. So moving on in the media as well, there's been a bit of news about the housing market potentially cooling off. Certainly anecdotally, there's been less people at open homes and there's some reasons that things have quietened off a bit and one of them in particular is that it's now the banks are being more restrictive on their lending to people and particularly the amount that they will lend to people. In other words, the top end of what someone could afford has come down considerably if they're in the same situation as what they were. So some changes there have meant it's, it's harder to buy at the moment. And that leads, leads to some of the headlines like this one here off interest.co.nz that says overall sales rate at Barfoot & Thompson auctions slumps to a third. So the sales rate at Barfoot & Thompson's auctions halves over the last two months as a surge, surge of new listings give buyers more choice. So it's really a double-headed, double-bladed sword here. And uh, what we've got is more homes coming on the market because it's springtime and we had the and so forth. And that's coupled with uh, possibly a bit less buyers. So Barfoot and Thompson, obviously Auckland base, and there were 368 properties offered for sale uh, last week when this article was written. That's the week of the 7th to 14th of December. But the sales rate barely scraped past the one-third mark. So just 126 out of 368 properties on offer from Auckland's biggest real estate agency were sold under the hammer, giving an overall sales rate of 34%. So that's really quite a, quite a, a change indeed. If we look on a week-by-week basis, in mid-October it was 68, 
one week, 67 the next, and then it's climbed down 62, 59, 54, 50, 43, 34. So that's a sign there that there isn't quite the competition, the bidding up there, and people are now maybe starting to think that the buying frenzy which gripped the market over the last few months has now passed with vendors with overly high price expectations may now struggle to sell their properties. And we've been seeing here in the Manawatu as well some price adjustments around the uh, the pricing of properties as the market has slowed. The rate of uh, growth still is very high though with regards to the property prices in this area as I reported on in last week's show uh, well, close to 30% increase in the median house price in this wider region in the last 12 months. So it's just going to see, we'll probably see that taper off a bit, the rate of growth. There will still be growth because there's so many positive things happening here in the Manawatu and uh, wider to, the, to Wanganui as well. Now here's an article that was in the New Zealand Herald and this is just a bit of a word of warning for real estate salespeople. It says, Mike Perrow agents failed to disclose deathly party wall and fined $25,000. Quite a emotive sort of heading that. Mike Perrow agents failed to disclose deathly party wall. So the this is two Wellington Mike Perrow real estate agents, Wayne Kemp and Marina Scoble. And earlier this year they were found guilty of charges of misconduct over their lack of disclosure about the wall. They were each fined $10,000 for hushing up a potential problem. Blinda Moffat, the Real Estate Authority Chief Executive, commented on the case and, and asked why, seven months after the penalty decision had been released, was she speaking out. A spokesperson said it was due to the pipe issue. In separate proceedings concerning the same sale and purchase transaction following a tribunal finding of unsatisfactory conduct, licensees were also ordered by a tribunal to pay fines of 2500 each as they failed to disclose Duck's Quest piping to the purchasers, the authority said. Homeowners have been warned about the piping which has failed in other homes. So the total fines of 12500 are significant given the maximum fine able to be imposed is 15000 the purchasers were also successful in the application for costs to be paid by the licensees. So on the wall issue, Moffat said, the code of conduct is quite clear. A licensee must ensure that a buyer is informed of any significant potential risk of hidden or underlying defects in a property so the customer has the option of seeking expert advice to assess the issue before they make an offer. And a licensee must not continue to act for a client who directs important information to be withheld from a potential buyer. It is a critical part of the regulatory framework that promotes and protects the interests of the buyers and gives all consumers trust and confidence in the real estate system. So the tribunal's decision is a valuable reminder to the industry of the importance of disclosure obligations, particularly where a potential safety risk has been identified. I don't know all of the ins and outs of this case, but one would assume by the fines that the licensees knew a bit more about this uh, risk and they didn't pass that on, or they were instructed by the person selling not to pass them on, which of course uh, is very much against the rules. The party wall was at risk, uh, the tribunal found, of collapsing in an earthquake, so that could have been rather catastrophic had things allowed to continue down there. The path 
And uh, the buyers really needed to know that as a crucial part of their buying decision, it goes without say. So real estate salesperson or salespeople aren't allowed to just keep quiet about something that they know that could affect your decision to buy a house. It's simply against uh, the rules and code of conduct of the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. So that's the... There's been a lot more focus on disclosure over the last few years, and it's really good because it just means that as a buyer or a purchaser of a residential rental property, you've got access to more information and know that it's illegal to withhold uh, things of importance that the salesperson might know. We're going to have a little break here now. I'm just going to put this one on, and I just like this uh, particular tune by Bob Miley and the Whalers. This is Jamming, nice summer tunes. I hope you enjoy.
you're back on Property Matters. That's Bob Miley and the Whalers with Jamming. I'm Greg Watson here on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. So lovely to have your company. We're just going to have a little bit of a look at a report that's come out from Core Logic to do with housing. It's called The Best of the Best New Zealand 2021. So they, and the subtitle, 2021 in Review, the Year of Property Politics. So they give a bit of a roundup of the market and then they look at things like the uh, the top-performing suburbs in the country with regards to house prices and growth, um, rents and so forth. Um, and there's, there's quite a bit in here actually and our region features a lot in this as being uh, having some of the, these interesting suburbs and places of very good capital growth. But just to review, in the review they say that they speculated that in 2021 the housing market would be a year around politics and regulatory pressures and that's absolutely proved to be the case. In March in 2021 the government extended the Brightline test for existing properties and announced the phased removal of interest deductibility unless investors were buying new builds, so making it much less appealing to purchase rental properties. They also granted the Reserve Bank of New Zealand powers to use other lending restrictions such as caps on uh, the debt-to-income ratios which are now being consulted on and are actually already in force at some banks. And this is what I was talking about before the break where they look at the amount of debt compared to the amount that you earn and they have a multiplier. They might lend up to nine times your income. Uh, now they've reduced that right back down to five or six which is really significant. Uh, you know, if you were able to lend for a $1.25 million house and they change those rules, suddenly you might only be able to lend for a $900,000 house and so forth. So the Reserve Bank of New Zealand also reinstated the loan-to-value ratio rules on the 1st of March 2021 and then ramped up the investors' required deposits to 40% on the 1st of May 2021. From the 1st of November, owner-occupiers too have faced tighter limits with the lower deposit lending threshold cut from 20% to 10%. So banks have a threshold where they can lend a certain amount of their money out for uh, less than the the rack amount or, or for lower deposits, in other words. So they used to be able to have 20% of the situations they could they could uh, lend easier. Now that's cut back to 10. So in other words, nobody has escaped the tightening credit environment and not at least first home buyers who are now facing additional pressures in the form of limited or no pre-approvals. Of course, the market has had to deal this year with continued COVID-related disruptions, making the process to trade property actually more difficult. On the plus side, the economy has weathered the storm fairly well and the unemployment rate falling back down to record low 3.4% has been a key support for property demand. So they've gone through and they've looked at some of the key measures here in this CoreLogic report. And some of it's been a little bit hard to interpret this year. But one of the ones, or a few things, show these headwinds that buyers are facing, and not at least the huge affordability challenges. Indeed, CoreLogic's measure of years to save a deposit has now reached 11 for the first time, well above the long-term average of 7.8 and even 8.8 from a year ago. For investors, the mirror image of that stretched owner-occupy metric is gross rental yields. And the news here isn't great either. On the back of sharp increases in property values, 
The average yield has now declined to just 2.7%, and that's before you take into any account any costs such as mortgage payments, rates or insurance. So it's making investment property much less appealing. So the We'll just go to some of the stats now and just have a bit of a bit of a look here. Um, although they do predict, actually before we do, they do predict 2022, suggesting it might be a bit of a buyer's market. So um, there's just means that there's possibly less people buying and more more properties coming available. Uh, the mortgage rates have already risen sharply and they'll continue to rise sharply. Uh, next year, according to CoreLogic, and that will mean that there will be people that simply cannot afford to keep the commitments that they've made with regards to housing, and there may be uh, quite difficult, or might be quite difficult indeed, for them to be able to, to pay the mortgages, and therefore there might be more properties coming onto the market. So let's have a look here at uh, the national top performing suburbs. In terms of the 12-month change in median values as a percentage. Just over the hills here, Woodville and Tararua, 12-month change in median values up 47.7%, which is outstanding uh, if you'd bought property there not too long ago. And also in our extended area, a five-year change in median values. The top suburb nationally, Castlecliff and Wanganui, over five years has gone up 207.9%. It's quite incredible. Just for interest, the highest median value suburb in the country is Hearn Bay in Auckland at just over 3.5 million median. And lowest is Runanga in, uh, in the Grey District uh, at 193,700. So just have a look through here. I'm sure there were some other, other suburbs that feature. And the highest 12-month value change we talked about Woodville at 47.7, Ekatahuna's 43.5, also in Tararua, Paiatua in Tararua, 42.3%. Other ones that are near to us are Taumurunui in Ruapehu for 41%, and Wanganui East at 39.2%. So certainly Tararua going very well, Manutu Wanganui still performing well, uh, and that's... Um, Quite a change indeed. As I mentioned, Castle Cliff had the highest five-year value change in Wanganui, but there were others in our region. Raitahi and Ruapehu up 198%. Ekatahuna and Tararua is up 193%. Uh, Gonville and Wanganui is up 192%. And then it follows with Martin, Shannon and Foxton, all at around 187% change in value over five years. Bearing in mind a 200% change is a doubling of price. So that's really showing how fast things have been going up. The highest gross yields, that is the trade-off between what you can buy a property for and rent it out for, or what you might call cash flow, a uh, number of areas. There are some in South Taranaki, Patea, Manaya, Waverley, those sorts of places, and also the top three are actually in the Grey District, Runanga, Cobden and Blaketown. That's the trade-off between how much it costs to buy and how much uh, rent you can get, relatively speaking. So I just thought I'd mention some of those. It's interesting to see how we're we're getting on. And then if we look at rents, the the suburb with the highest median rent in the country is Carriker Bays in Wellington, followed by Seatoon in Wellington at $875 per week. That's a heck of a whack out of your budget. As you head down to the South Island, the median rents in a number of places in Southland, Clutha and Buller 
uh, around that $300 a week mark. So it's just incredible. Now the la- the ho- the highest median rent changes in the last 12 months, if you have property in one of these suburbs, uh, the median change in Ashurst as part of Palmerston North is 40.6%. So if every $100 of rent you were paying a year ago, you'd now be paying 140 That's quite outstanding. Fitzherbert in Palmerston North also 40.6%. And there's a couple of others nearby, mainly around Ruapehu area, that have gone up 30%. It's pretty incredible there. And those those relate to, I know at least in Palmerston North, that relates to about a $60 a week increase. Um, but in, in the likes of Ashurst, I mean, 40%, that is that is huge. If a property was at 400 that's almost, well, it's around $160 extra per week. So big changes there. Some of those areas, though, haven't had rent increases uh, or the rental market has been slow for a while. So there is a certain amount of catch-up there, I suppose you could say. But nevertheless, I just thought I'd put some of those stats in there, just showing that it is still a popular area or generally around these parts for growth and property values. I think that'll keep going for quite some time yet. And the rents moving up as well, which means that once you've bought a property, the if the rent goes up significantly over a year, it means that it's making it much easier to pay the bills or to find a break-even point for your investment property. So that's all we've got time for this week. It's been lovely having your company here on Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. You can just search Greg Watson Property Matters. I'm resident in Palmerston North. If you wanted to have a bit of a Facebook stalk to find out more about me or about the show or just more about real estate in general. Otherwise, just tune in here at mpr.nz. It's available to download, live, and also where all good podcasts are found. Thanks again. Have a great week. Have a lovely festive season. Hope you have a wonderful Christmas and a safe and happy new year. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.